And you know that too. That's the most important thing because I can't really do anything about it, but you can. And I want to pray for people that even days like Father's Day just bring up all sorts of pain and, and trauma maybe even. And we want to pray for people like that. Pray for people that are grief-stricken. I think about body, Bonnie that we just had the funeral for her father earlier this week and now here it's Father's Day. And uh, things like that that just stir up all kinds of emotions. I, pr I pray for men that when they evaluate their life, and it's not hard to find ourselves in this place, we feel like just utter failures when it comes to fatherhood. But I want to thank you, Lord. You're the one who can restore what the locusts have eaten. And uh, you are the one that brings beauty out of ashes. And so we bring the ashes of our life and of our failure before you. And we want you to make something beautiful out of our lives. And to do what only you can do. And then Lord we also want to say thank you for your plan to give us fathers and mothers. To put us in families and for the blessing that that is. And we uh, pray Lord for those who have fathers that are still living. We pray for them and ask you to bless them on this uh, special day. Thank you Lord. And thank you that you define yourself as a father so that we know what it really is all about. And so help us to be like you in everything we do. And Lord, I want to pray for VBS as we get ready to start it. As we uh, cover the parables of Jesus, I pray for boys and girls to come to know Christ. I pray, Father, that uh, boys and girls would find the love of Jesus to be stronger than Maybe the disappointment and even the hatred that they feel in this world. I pray that they would feel safe. I pray that the workers would be anointed and sensitive and blessed. And I pray that the word of God would run swiftly, as Paul said, and be glorified. And we pray that seeds would be planted, watered. And uh, we pray, Lord, that if it please you, there would be a harvest. And as I think about these children that are coming up, and I think about the world that we face today. It's so confusing. It's so ungodly. It's so messed up. And it's so off track. Oh, I wonder what it's going to be like in another 15 years for these children. And so we want to pray for them. And we want to pray that you would raise up a generation that would be fortified against all of the schemes of the wicked one. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And while we are praying that, we pray, Lord, for our nation. How we desperately need your touch and your healing power and your correction. We pray that you would do that. And help us to be salt and light in everything we do. And this we pray because we love you. And more importantly, because you love us. And we cast our cares upon you. Heal those that are sick and bless those that have needs. And do it all for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's uh, do something a little different today. Open your Bibles to uh, the Psalms is where we're going to uh, be this morning. And uh, I thought about how much confusion there is with all of the gender stuff and everything like that. Well, that even starts getting into the roles that we have as fathers and even as uh, mothers because we are not real sure who we are and what we are and, and that uh, affects what we do and even how we think. And I, I, I would assume we all agree together 
our nation today, we're messed up in our soul. We're messed up in our minds. We're not thinking right. And uh, bad thinking leads, of course, to all kinds of problems. And so the title today, Let's Stop Speculating About Fathers. Now, this is not new. I have been watching now for uh, a good 30 years where uh, men have been under attack and men have been told by feminists and liberals and others, this is not what a man is, this is what a man is. And so as a result, we're not really sure what we're supposed to be. Tough and strong, the John Wayne, Marlboro Man type person, or are we supposed to be something completely opposite and different of that? Are we supposed to lead or are we supposed to follow? Just what in the world are we and what are we supposed to do? And so as a result, men, uh, if you are my age or younger, what happens is we are thrust biologically into fatherhood, but we don't have a clue. And maybe we didn't have a good role model. And maybe we didn't have a father that was even present to show us what to do and what a man is. And so we just sort of drift. Reminds me of what Paul said, that you be no longer children tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Well, I think that happens not only theologically, I think that happens just in life. We're just not sure what we are supposed to do. And so uh, as a result of that, I started working on this particular message. And I thought about the fact that God reveals himself as Father. There's no dispute about that. He doesn't reveal himself as mother. He doesn't reveal himself as cousin or aunt or uncle or for, uh, anything like that. He does say he's a friend. But uh, primarily we find that he is a father. And I thought, well, that's what we ought to be looking at. That's the target. What should a man be, especially as a father? We ought to be godly. And to be godly means that we have to be like God. And so uh, why don't we look at God and find out what it is that he has done? Because Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 says, Therefore you shall be perfect. Well, I'm already, I'm already condemned over that one. I've already fallen short of that one by a long shot. And he says that the standard is just as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, I can't attain that goal, and you can't attain that goal, and yet that's what it says that we are to do. And so I'm glad to give you the good news that God provided the perfection that you need in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as the perfect man, the God-man, and he lived a perfect life and died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice. And he said, it is finished to telestai in the original language, meaning the debt has fully been paid. And he did that not for himself because he didn't need that. He did it for sinners like you and sinners like me. And I'm so glad that he did. He provides the perfection. Now, because of the Spirit of God living in us and because of the Word of God that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, we can take the stumbling steps toward being like the Lord. And when we fall, he picks us up. And when we are wounded, he's the one that heals us. And when we sin, he is the one that forgives us. He is the perfection that we are in pursuit of. And so I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles 
to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And we're going to begin reading at verse 11. And this is actually a description of God. But I also pray it could be a description of me as a dad, of you as dads, and uh, that we would look at this, and this would be our model. This would be the target we're shooting for, and not something worldly, not something self-indulgent, not something that is going to leave a wake of destruction in uh, our paths, but something that will cause us to be a blessing, and the memory of our lives even to be a blessing after we're gone. The book of Hebrews says, as it talks about people of faith, that being dead, they still speak. Well, I'd like for my life to speak after I'm in the grave through the influence that I have had. But we've got to do it God's way. So, Psalm 103, 11. If you found it, would you say amen? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. And I need every bit of that. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities, that means has compassion on his children, so the Lord pities or has compassion on those who fear him. He's not angry, he's compassionate. Verse 14, for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days, well, they're like grass. As a flower of the field, so he uh, flourishes. For the wind passes over it. And that's not meaning just a big wind like we had last night. A very hot wind, the kind of wind that kills flowers. So the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place, in its place, it remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord, in contrast, is from everlasting to everlasting. You can't run it dry. You'll never get to the end of the mercy of God on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, grandchildren, generations. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments. And not just remember them like, well, I know I shouldn't do this. Remember them to do them. I do what I'm supposed to do. I don't do what I'm not supposed to do. This is more than just conscious awareness of the commandments of God, isn't it? And so uh, I think about that and I think about fatherhood. If we're going to take God as our model, what are some things that we could learn that are at least somewhat doable for frail humans, sinful humans like us. And uh, here's, here's what I came up with. Number one, we need some fathers who will set a high standard with mercy. A high standard, yet with mercy. Now, there are some mean dads. There are some dads who expect a lot. There are some dads who are constantly putting pressure on their kids, pushing their kids never satisfied with their kids, even in a spiritual sense. You could have read one more chapter in your Bible, couldn't you? You could have memorized one more verse, couldn't you? Uh, you could have thought a little bit more about things that I have said and remembered them, and it would have kept you out of trouble, right? And so we always find ourselves 
falling short and, and never measuring up to any of that. Because sometimes we find that fathers are hard and they're tough and they're mean and they're demanding and they're exacting and you can never please them. And yet the Bible tells us here that God's thoughts are high above our thoughts. Well, that's no secret, is it? His thoughts are always right. They're always pure. Mine are not. Yours are not. His motives are always good. Ours are not. There are some times when we cross the line and we know what we're doing and we do it intentionally. He never does anything that is wrong. All his ways are right and righteousness, we're told. Now, when you think about that, he would have every reason to consume us. He would have every reason to make our lives completely miserable all the time. And that's seriously what hell will be. And he could do that here in this life. But the scripture tells us that he is a what kind of God? As the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy. You might want to circle that word in your Bible. His mercy toward those who fear him. The only reason that you are not getting the full consequences. Now you do get the consequences of your sin. And God as a loving, merciful father, he does discipline those he loves. That's very clear. And he does it because he doesn't want us to continue down that path. But let's also think about this. Your situation, my situation, could be a whole lot worse than it is. But it's not because of the mercy of God. You may think it couldn't get worse, but trust me, it could get worse. And it could be more shameful, more disgraceful. It could cause more guilt. It could cause you to trip up even more and uh, have more problems in your life. But there's a certain point to where God said that's enough because he is full of mercy. Yes, he hates sin and all of that. We understand that. But he is also at the same time full of mercy. Now, sometimes we feel merciful toward other people. And yet the Bible says here that his mercy is way above ours. It comes from the heavens to the earth. It covers all of that. And we think about the mercy of God. And uh, if anything ought to characterize a father. I did not say leniency should characterize you. I think you ought to have a high standard. And I think you ought to set that standard and uphold it, men. But at the same time, even in your discipline, notice that word Mercy, And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move through because the psalmist says something that's very, very important. Number two, don't hold grudges. You know, there are some people, some parents, some fathers that once you do one thing wrong, they can never let you forget that. And you are always looked at through those lenses. And as you are looked at through those lenses, you feel the sting, you feel the despair you feel the rejection you feel the hurt and no matter what you do it's never quite good enough it can never make up for what you did wrong what you messed up on and uh, maybe it's uh, not a sinful thing maybe it's just that you never were able to athletically achieve what your dad did Maybe it's because you were never academically able to achieve what your dad did. And he thinks you're just a slacker, that you're just uh, lazy, that you're not willing to work. Why can't you be more like I was? Boy, when I was your age. You ever hear those kind of things? The truth of the matter is, uh, those times were different. 
And they had a different set of circumstances, a different way they were raised. You know, uh, I think you're tougher when you're raised without air conditioning. I think you're tougher when you have to walk places instead of ride cars or buses. I, I just think there's something about generations that came before us. They were tougher. Some of them went to war, saw combat. They're just different. And so to take a 21st century child and expect them to have the same type of framework that you do, the same kind of attitude that you do, the same kind of toughness you do. Well, when I was your age, we did that. That's not possible. And what's really even more ludicrous is you're raising them to not have to go through what you went through, and yet you condemn them because they're not like you. Now, notice in verse 12 that even with God, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I think about if God can do that, what's our problem? Why is it that we're so willing to accept the forgiveness of God, but we're so unwilling to extend the forgiveness of God to other people and even particularly to our children. I cannot tell you over the years of my ministry how many times I've talked to somebody that was disappointed in their children. And I always wondered if that disappointment, if that was springing because they were holding a grudge of bitterness, they would never let go of what that child had done. Maybe they got involved in drugs or alcohol or sex before marriage. Maybe your son got a girl pregnant or your daughter got pregnant before marriage. Uh, different things like that. And now, here it is, years later, you're still seeing them through those lenses. We've got to be willing and ready to let some things go. After all, that's what the Lord does. Because children feel your bitterness and they feel your disappointment. And like it or not, for some kids that fuels them more to want to please you. For others, it makes them give up and say there's no point in doing it. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament we're not to provoke our children to wrath. The goal is not to make them angry and the goal is not to discourage them uh, in any way. We're not to push them to the point of exasperation, Paul says. Exasperation. What good does it do? I can never make them happy so I might as well do everything that I want to do. And that fuels sometimes rebellion. We're to be more like the prodigal son's dad who, yes, he drew a line, and yes, the prodigal son needed to leave. There's no dispute about that. But the father was always praying for him, and the father was always out there waiting for him and anticipating him coming home. And when the prodigal came home, you remember then, there was not a rehearsal of everything that had been done and all the money that had been wasted and all the way that uh, the sin that had been committed and the immorality and things. But the father kills the fatted calf, puts the robe on him, the ring on him, the shoes on him, and weeps and says, this is my son who was dead, but now he's alive. You think that that son uh, would not appreciate that? You think he would not respond to that? You think that would not lighten his burden and encourage him to do more that would be right and to be godly? Uh, I think it would. I think about the apostle Peter after Jesus told him, warned him, I mean, you know, when you get the Lord warning you about something and you do it anyway, that, that's just dumb. And uh, there's Peter after he has done that. And uh, on the shores of the lake of the Sea of Galilee, there he is uh, seeing the Lord. He jumps into the water. He swims to the shore. 
And uh, what does the Lord have for him? Well, he's put his sin away from him. He's giving him that abundant mercy because instead of standing there with a whip, instead of scolding him and rehearsing everything, he's made breakfast for him. And that's when he does that famous interchange with him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Once for every time he denied him. And uh, he commissions him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, he says to him. And, uh, of course, on the day of Pentecost, man, did that ever happen. And so uh, the Lord is willing to forgive. We should be quick to forgive as well and not completely uh, hold this over our kids' heads all the time, over and over and over. Now, understand this. It's not uh, that he just forgets about it. He's not senile. He's not forgetful. Uh, He's an all-knowing God. He knows everything about us. But he chooses not to bring it up. He has declared it inadmissible evidence in court. It will never be brought against you again because he has decreed it to be so. What a great God. What a wonderful Father. Oh, that we could learn to be more like him. Number three. Know your children's capability. I think every father... And every mother for that point. You ought to know your kids so well that you know what they like and you know what they don't like. Not just what flavor of popsicle they prefer. But to know the things that motivate them and the things that don't motivate them. I know some people, if you were to tell them, oh, you'll never be able to do that. They will kill themselves proving to you that they can. That motivates them. But I know some other people. That when you tell them, you could never do that in a million years, they go, yeah, you're probably right, and they kind of wilt. Now, we can debate over which is the best situation to be in, but uh, the point of the matter is, you have kids that some of the things you do are not motivating them, and you probably ought to know that and change your ways. There are ways that they are wired and that they are bent that would really motivate them, that mean a lot to them. And uh, maybe your involvement, maybe your smile, maybe a word of encouragement or something like that just fires them up. You probably ought to know that. You ought to know whether they're... uh, uh, Don't push them into uh, being an all-star football player if they're not geared that way. Maybe they're geared a little bit different way. Help them to be what God has made them to be. It says in verse 13, As a father pities or has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Why? Because He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. God the Father knows where it is that we fail. He knows where our besetting sins are. He knows where generational problems are that have been passed down through our DNA. He knows where we are personally. He knows what we're capable of. And that's a wonderful thing because God will never put you into any situation that he does not provide the power that is needed for you to do that. He doesn't push you into failure. He doesn't push you into something that is going to destroy you. He's building you up. He is training you. Now, it may feel like he's trying to kill you. And I've heard people in the military talk about that. They go through basic training. What's this guy doing? Trying to kill us? No, he is training you and getting you ready for maybe a a combat situation so that you will know how it is that you are supposed to live and how you're supposed to act. Uh, I remember after Joel Seal came back from Afghanistan, 
he was in charge of security at a forward operating base in uh, Afghanistan. And he came back and uh, we were um, eating lunch and he was telling me about going over there. He said after we trained and 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 he said our men were so bored with the training and so tired of the training. He said but there in that forward operating base in Afghanistan he said uh, terrorists came at one point. Hostiles came and he goes I was so and he had tears running down his cheeks. He said I was so proud of my men because as soon as it happened, they did exactly the way they were trained and we contained them and we were able to uh, either take them out or uh, take them prisoner. And uh, he said, we saved countless lives because of the training. God is putting you through some training that at the moment seems boring. It seems repetitive. It may even seem like he's trying to kill you. What's going on? But he's training you because he knows where your next steps are going to be. And you don't. He's getting you ready for all of that. And he knows where your weaknesses are. And he knows where your strengths are. And even in the thing about your strengths, he knows where you're overconfident. He knows where you are prideful because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. He is renewing your mind because there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. And I would imagine there are any numbers of people in this room today who could say amen to that because you were in a situation you thought you had it handled. You thought you had it contained. You thought you had it all figured out. But boy, did it ever come back and bite you. Well, here's the good news. God already knew that before it ever happened. He's already made provision for that before it ever happened. And he is correcting you and he is training you. And then in other areas where you're so weak, what did Paul tell us? For when I am weak, then I am, what did he say? Strong. So if you want to be strong in the Lord, you've got to have your weaknesses dealt with. And they're going to be exposed and they're going to be dealt with by the Lord. And he does all of this in the context of knowing who you are, where you've been, what your scars are, where your weaknesses are, where your strengths are, all of these things. And he is making you into a mighty warrior and he is correcting you and he is doing things you can't even imagine. The Bible calls for us to love our children. Now all of us love our children dearly but the Bible takes that kind of as a given because there's no command in the Bible for you to really, really, really make sure you love your children dearly. You know what the book of Proverbs emphasizes? Love your children wisely. Wisely. And that means you've got to know them. You've got to know the context in which they live. You've got to know where they are tempted. You've got to know where they have a propensity to fall. Maybe the same as yours. You've got to know the things that they are exposed to. And you've got to be in prayer for them. And you've got to be involved in their life. And so all of these kind of things remind us they are sinners. And they are spiritually dead until they trust Christ. And sometimes we try to push little kids who have never been saved into acting like Christians and living like Christians when they're not capable of doing that. And then sometimes when they get a little older and they do profess faith in Christ, then we kind of take our hands off the wheel 
and uh, say, well, you know, they're, they're old enough now. What, what can you do? Just what can you do when they get to be teenagers or something? Well, there's plenty. You've got to be wise with your children, even when they're little. And understand this. Some people say, well, that's a mini-me. No, they're really not. That's impossible, in fact. You know why? Because, number one, they have the DNA of somebody else that you don't have, your husband or your wife. And so they've got a mixture of something else in them that may catch you completely off guard. Not to mention they are a completely different, unique creation of God formed for His purposes. And so those things have to be shaped and directed and trained. The Bible says train up a child. Train up a child. It's not just punish up a child. It's not just shame up a child. It's not just uh, anything like that. Train them. To train them, you are leading them from a negative to a positive, from a place of weakness to a place of strength, from a place of ignorance to a place of knowledge. Some of you, do you remember the first time you went out for a baseball or a football team? And maybe you had never played before. Maybe you didn't even know all of the rules and you certainly didn't know the technique. What was the coach doing if he or she was a good coach? They were taking you from ignorance to knowledge this is how you stand this is how far apart your feet should be this is where your elbow should be this is what you watch for you're training them and that's what our goal is as we raise our children proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go don't force us a round peg into a square hole they're to go the way they are to go. God has made them and shaped them for that. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it because he appreciates it. And so uh, train them. And they're going to resist that training. They're sinners. Expect that. And just because they might be compliant when they're little bitty doesn't mean they're going to be compliant when they're 16 or 17. That's the kind of thing uh, they're going to bow up and say, don't tell me what to do. They're spreading their wings and wanting to try to be independent. Now, they don't know what they're doing, and we know they're going to crash. Sometimes you need to let them crash. Sometimes you need to let them fall. Do it while it's in a controlled environment where they don't get hurt instead of turning them loose in college and then watching them really crash and burn. And so uh, that's, that's the way we need to uh, be like the Lord in this regard. Number four, the last thing. Um, remember... That, not the last thing. I've got one more. Remember the things that things are temporary here on this earth. Okay? That's kind of sad. But as an empty nester, we were talking this morning, Father's Day and Mother's Day are sure a lot different when you're an empty nester, aren't they? Uh, different than it was when you had little kids get up and they made you something. And, uh, you know, maybe they cooked you breakfast, you know. Those, you remember those kind of things? And you have to eat it. And you have to act like you like it and uh, go through all of that. I mean, but it's, but it's sweet. You appreciate it so much. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, what is that pointing to? I am a testimony that your time of parenthood in terms of really having authority over them is limited. It's limited on several things. Some of you lost your mom or your dad at a young age. We don't know how long we're going to live. Only the Lord knows that. Some of you have lost children and you grieve over that today and we grieve with you. We don't know how long we have our children and uh, children. You don't know how long you're going to have your mom or your dad either. 
And then we know one thing, that whenever they're born, there's only a short period of time that they're going to be in our household under our authority. There comes a certain point when Jesus talked about this in the context of marriage, and it's also in the book of Genesis. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. In other words, a new household, a new family, a new identity is established. Yeah, you'll always be their dad. Always be their dad, but in a different way and in a different role. And so what I want to say to some of you who are younger, this goes by much quicker than you anticipate. This is something that you cannot get some of those times back. And if you're just leaving the, uh, the spiritual instruction of your children, well, they go to Awana, that's enough. Oh, they go to Sunday school, that's enough. Well, they're in the youth group, that's enough. And, uh, I, and, and their mother talks to them all the time about that. And so does their grandmother. They, yeah, that's enough. No, Dad, they need to hear it from you. And you've only got a certain amount of time to teach them, to teach your boys how to be a man, to teach your daughters how to be a lady and what to look for in a man. And I would say for every man here, if you have daughters... That your goal ought to be to live the kind of life to where your daughter cannot stomach someone who is not like you. And I don't mean that like you've got to be like my dad or I don't want anything to do with you. I'm talking about they know what a gentleman is. That's why fathers don't abuse or molest their children. Because neither should a date. Neither should anyone else. That's why fathers ought to always be kind instead of being harsh. Because that's what you expect your son-in-law one of these days to do with your daughter and with your grandchildren. This is why we've got to model all of that so that our daughters feel safe in choosing someone that they're going to have a relationship with because they know him already because he's like my dad in the ways that count. And this is why the moral failure of so many fathers... Fathers looking at porn, fathers on alcohol, fathers on drugs, fathers that desert their families, fathers that commit immorality is just devastating. I don't mean to pile on to anybody. I'm just speaking the truth. It's devastating. doesn't mean you can't recover from it, but you're going to have to work hard at it in order to do that. This is something that you want to live a life of consistency and integrity. You don't want to be a hypocrite, one way at church, one way around certain people, and then for others. It says, as for man, his days are, well, like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes, for um, the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. And so uh, think about that and uh, think about the fact that you want to have a legacy. You want your legacy to live on even after you are gone. And that is possible. And uh, some of you, you've got to make up for lost time, but you can do it through the power of the Lord. You can do it. And I encourage you, work hard on all of that and don't give up. Don't throw up your hands and say it's useless. My kids hate me. That can change. My kids don't respect me. That can change. My kids would never uh, think highly of me. That can change. But you've got to work at it. You've got to be consistent at it. And uh, I pray that you're able to do that. Number five. This is the last one. That we want to look at a legacy 
of faithfulness. Now, maybe you've been unfaithful in the past, but you can start today. And from this point forward, you can have a legacy of faithfulness. And it says in verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from how long? From everlasting to everlasting. That's a long time. And on um, those who fear him and uh, his righteousness to his children's children. To such as keep his covenant and those who remember his commandments to do them. Now as I started looking at all of that, I started thinking God is not in this for the short term. God is not in this just to get you through a trial today. And so many sermons and so many books and so many Bible studies, it's like God wants to get you through your hard day today or this season of life. God is thinking so far ahead of you, it's not even funny. God wants you to have a lasting legacy and influence that will affect your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. God wants you to have a legacy that is going to live on after you in various ways. He's thinking long-term. And I think with parents, we just think, oh, if I can just get my kid through diapers. That's really not your goal. That's one of them. That's a step in the right direction. But your goal is to train somebody to be a future mother or a future father, a future husband, a future wife. You're not raising children. You're raising adults. You're raising the parents of your grandchildren. And we don't always think far enough ahead. This is something that we've got to think long term on uh, all of this. And um, when the parents faith is fraudulent then it's devastating to the children sammy and i were watching some documentaries on all of the scandal at uh, hillsong uh, in australia and also in new york city and we saw person after person they were in the praise band they were uh, in different ministries small group ministries things like that some of them on the leadership team and now they're interviewing those people and they're saying i don't even think i'm a christian anymore they have people that say, I, I don't go to church anymore. One lady said, well, I like church, but I know that church has nothing to do with, or I like Jesus, and church has nothing to do with Jesus. Excuse me? What, what, what's wrong with all of that? Because people that they trusted fell into fraudulent um, uh, living, and now it's devastated a lot of people. And uh, as we were watching that, I thought, I've seen that happen in so many families doesn't mean it's over doesn't mean it can't be fixed but it's a hard road to hoe isn't it and so uh, be careful about those kind of things and make sure that you are living the way you say you believe and so um, as I thought about this just kind of summing things up God's sovereign grace is consistent and it's an intergenerational thing and uh it works even after we're gone, and we may not be remembered, but our godly influence certainly can live on. Now, probably, the chances are you do not know the name of your great-great-great-grandfather. Now, maybe you've done some genealogical stuff or something like that, or maybe your family kept better records, and you do know. But the average person has no clue who their great-great-great-grandfather is, but you were probably still influenced by him and his wife. 
That influence lives on because they influence their children and their children influence their children and, the, and it goes on and on down and the influences carry on. And you're having an influence, good or bad, positive or negative, on your uh, grandchildren and great-grandchildren now. And uh, you may not even be around to ever speak to them or say anything to them, but the influence carries on. So uh, let me just sum it up. Pattern your uh, fatherhood after God. Don't just do it like Dad did it. Don't just do it like the latest book said. Go to the Word. Find out what God is like. He's the Father. And ladies, consider anyone that you date, marry, or enter into a relationship through these verses. This is the kind of person... Well, he, it doesn't matter right now. We're not really planning on getting married. Hey, stranger things happen. And you could get trapped into something like that well he'll change after we get married uh, don't count on it don't count on it uh, look for somebody that is like these verses that we just read and, and men work on these qualities in your own life and don't follow poor examples and if you have then quit and start following some good examples and start doing something positive and live by high standards and lead by high standards. Make sure you apply them not just to your kids. Do as I say, not as I do doesn't work anymore. I don't know that it ever did, but it really doesn't work now. Live by your own standards. The things you would discipline your kids for, discipline yourself for those very things. Be kind and merciful and forgive and uh, don't legalistically burden down your family with the things that you want them to do and the things that you think that they ought to do. Let the Holy Spirit take care of that. Rule by the Word of God. And don't waste your time or your opportunities with misplaced priorities. I know a lot of men that they, boy, they would die if their kid didn't know how to throw a baseball or catch a fish or something, but they don't ever teach their child the Word of God or any spiritual truths. Priorities are so messed up. And then um, live so that your testimony for Christ outlives you and doesn't disappoint your family. Uh, when my dad died in 2019, I can't think of anything that would be more disappointing than to be going through his stuff and find out he wasn't the man I thought he was. To find out that he had hidden sin and hidden secrets and a double life and that type of thing. And uh, even though he's gone, that would affect me and my brother even now. Uh, I'm glad he lived a life of integrity so that when we went through all of his stuff, we didn't have to find something that we didn't want to see or a situ come across a situation that we didn't want to deal with. Uh, he was the same public and private before death and after death. I want to challenge you, especially as men, to live that way so that your kids don't one day find out the secrets that make them question everything about themselves and everything about life. And if you'll do this, this will put you on the right path to being a father like God is a father. Are you going to fail? Yeah, you already have. Does God forgive? Yeah, we read about that. And he's even merciful toward the men that he assigns to be fathers. He'll be merciful toward you. And I'm so glad that he is. And I would like to close by having a word of prayer for all of our fathers. 
And if you are a father, I would like for you to stand and just come up here into this front area in front of the pulpit because we would like to pray for you because you are an important part of so many people's lives. So uh, fathers, come on down here. I need that guy on the Price is Right to say, come on down. You say, no, what you need is a big wheel where we can win prizes for coming down. I, I got it. I got it. Okay, Come on down. Pack in tight. Act like you like each other, okay? And then uh, everyone else, would you all stand and come up and gather and let's just surround these men. They feel alone and vulnerable and unsure about a lot of things in this world. I know they don't act like it, but they do. And uh, they sure could use your love and to use your support. Come on and gather around them. If you can get by your dad, go ahead and do that. Somebody will let you through. Isn't this great? Isn't it wonderful to go to our heavenly father and know that he cares about earthly fathers and to know that he's working in your life and he doesn't uh, go up there and go, well, I knew that was going to happen. He is working for you to be everything you're supposed to be. He's sanctifying you, okay? Everything in your life is, is perfecting you for the glory of God. Aren't you glad that he is a forgiving father? Yeah, amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we want to confess the sin that we are not like you. We don't even get close. We are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And uh, Lord, when you throw sin as far as the east is from the west, we sure give you a lot of it. And we thank you, Lord, that even your forgiveness and your love and uh, all of those things is all tempered by your mercy. You are a merciful God, more merciful than we could ever realize. And you're merciful in ways where we could never run out of that mercy. We praise you for that. Thank you for your compassion. When we fail, you are sympathetic, Lord Jesus, as a high priest for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, that you also discipline us because you don't want us to stay and wallow in our sin and make things worse. You begin to work in our lives. And you begin to stir things up within us that have kind of long been buried. And you draw us back to you. And we thank you for that, Lord. And while there still may be consequences so that we don't forget too easy, we thank you that there's also an awful lot of grace. And our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Thank you for that. I pray that you would empower these men. And let them, Lord, take these things in Psalm 103 that describe you, and may they describe them. And I pray, Lord, that when they finish the race, I pray that when they are done in this life, and they've done their job, they've completed their assignment, I pray, Lord, that while we're always grateful for what they do at the church, deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers and people like that, the most important thing in my mind is that they be shining examples in their home, in their family. As Brother John tells us over and over, may these men pastor their family for the glory of God. So cleanse us and set us on the right path. And thank you for the privilege of being a father. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Okay. Thank you.